Hey, welcome to Stephen McGrath's Basecraft. So, I, get, I know I've mentioned a few times that I think uh, working on slap bass is a waste of time. Well, if I only mean that in the context if if you want to become a more employable bass player, it's one of the skills you least need to have, but it's actually still a lot of fun. So I've been messing around with the double bass or double thumping lately. And um, yeah, I'm, I used to do it a lot as a teenager and it's fun to re-explore it and do some kind of but I never actually learned how to do double thumping because I always slapped like flea with my thumb down. Um, but now I'm relearning how to slap with the thumb up and you can get some interesting sounds and um, it's cool bass lines that you couldn't have done the other way. So I could do something like this. Yeah, you just have a nice bit of control when you're doing that double thumping, so it doesn't have to be as stereotypical slappy, slappy the bass kind of thing. Anyway, I'm not really a master at it now, but I get a bit of crack out of it. So today's guest is Joe Furlong, and he's one of the most in-demand session players in Ireland. And this, that's definitely true because I've seen him on the telly which is the benchmark for success in Ireland. I've seen him, I think, four or five times already this year. I've seen him on The Late Late, Tommy Tiernan, Nationwide, and some other stuff. So he's the guy people call when they need someone for a session. He plays with loads of Irish acts, but his main gig is with James Vincent McMurrow, and that has brought him all over the world. He's played later with Jules Holland, uh, KCRW, Jimmy Kimmel, the Sydney Opera House, all these things. Like, and um, but I, after the chat with Joe and anything, I was kind of thinking, uh, what makes you a, a good session player? And I think it's just one of the main attributes is being a people person. So I think these session guys they get to know the person. They're they're concerned about getting to know the person more than the musician in a genuine way. And uh, I think that comes across in the interview because at one stage Joe was interviewing me because it, it, it was supposed to be all about him, but it's just his nature to be a people person and want to get to know people. So uh, you get to know a bit about me in this episode. And thanks, Joe, for asking those questions. That was cool. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And as usual, like, subscribe, all that stuff. If you want to support me, you can jump on my shop, buy one of my Basecraft t-shirts. And uh, yeah, see you in a minute. Yeah, we all have stuff, sure. I, I just figured out before you came on what's causing. I'm getting all these clips when I'm recording. And I just figured out it's my central heating. Every time the the boiler kicks in, it caused like a giant clip on in Logic. No way. <laughs> yeah, so I've been trying to figure it out for, since uh, July. So pretty happy to figure it out today. You know now. I was turning off everything <laughs> in the house like and only having electricity in here. And I was like, what is this? I just can't figure it out. That's wild. But uh, so yeah, I must tell the girlfriend turn off the fucking heat, and you'll have to freeze for an hour or two. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I was asking about um, you were posting up a lot of those repetitive nineties bass lines, and um, yeah. what what is it you kind of get out of them? Because I wouldn't really have dived into that myself much, because you know you can't dive into everything. But I, I definitely will explore it yeah. and try and get into it. Um, I think it's 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 really just down to the fact that those bass lines and those like classic 90s dance songs are usually just like a tiny little samples um and i just think it's fascinating when you can have something so small and so repetitive 
mean, it's kind of the whole ethos of dance music, but like just something so repetitive, just grooving so well and, and just makes people want to dance. And that's the reason why I wanted to play bass in the first place was to, because you have the ability to make people dance with, with just that instrument, you know? And have you done any gigs at like big festivals with a kind of, as where you were playing the bass for a kind of a dance project with a guy in a laptop or something like that? Um, No, but I, I've played with this cover band called Robot Rock um who do um like their their main set is like classic 90s and early 2000s dance tunes like oh, that's class for a bass player <laughs> oh man it's so much fun uh, the, the first gig i ever did with them actually um they wanted to do discovery the daft punk record from start to finish live um which was actually a really interesting challenge for me because obviously a lot of the bass uh parts on that record are are sampled from you know random records here and there um but there's also some huge uh bass lines on 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 the daft punk stuff um but the most fun i had in that whole time was there's a couple of songs where literally i'm not even sure there's bass on the record as such but it's just like there's tuned kick drums so all you're doing is playing quarter notes to the kick (laughs) and just locking into that and like you just basically following the route Mm. and just locking into that was uh was the most fun Uh, yeah the robot rock stuff is always really fun is it hard to replicate those daft punk tones like or do you just (laughs) use your p bass sound no matter what uh what i did for that show was uh i had so i have got like a 75 p bass I have a, um, a Mexican jazz and then I have this music man, the five string music man sub, which is my first bass. So I kind of changed bass depending on what was needed for the song, but I also had a bunch of different pedals that I had set up um, because with a lot of the Daft Punk songs in particular, um, the dynamic happens throughout the song by just like filtering the low end out of the kick or the low end out of the bass synth mm. or the uh, side chaining that kind of thing is it exactly yeah but even just sections where like the bass is scooped out altogether for like mm. four bars or eight bars so um i had like a a, um, a boss eq pedal with like a low end boost uh i borrowed a line six um pedal uh from connor king actually um to use a filter on that as a high pass filter so all the low end comes out so when i stepped on that just really high end tinny horrible sounding but it works in context you know yeah Yeah. so it was just a case of having different pedals to do to jump through all those dynamics because it's not a case of just playing louder it's a case of actually like pulling all the low end out of your bass or boosting all the low end in your bass so yeah it's like it's a good challenge it's like if there was just a guy in a laptop he'd just be doing that low filter thing for certain sections to get that whooshy kind of sound and then yeah. it would come back in a drop. Is that what they call it? The, that's is exactly that the lingo? What it is, yeah. It's funny that you say that though, because I've uh, one thing that's kept me going in the for the last year, uh, myself and uh, my friend David Curley, who was the bass player in a band called Otherkin. I know the band. Bass yeah. players. Good, good, really good kind of rock in Dublin. Rock band, yeah. Band, yeah. yeah, well, David has set up a, a daddy new studio called The Clinic. And basically he's, he's, uh, he's kind of set up uh, with a view to kind of being like the best electronic studio in 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 the country, I guess he's got like you know all the classic synthesizers you could ever ever want. But we ended up working together and and making a load of music, dance music basically. And it was just interesting, I think, the process of us making dance music, <laughs> you know, within the within the world of looking at those guys as you know 
the lads there uh, yeah. twiddling, twiddling the dials. I know, I, I've been doing a bit of beat making myself and I'm total amateur and new, newfound respect for people that do that. Like when you, yeah. when you jump in and try to do it yourself, it's like it's, there's a to- it's, it's a different world, like, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's funny, I remember being a kid and uh, I was really into Nirvana at the time and a friend of mine was into dance music and I was like, why would you listen to that? You're like, you know, any guy with a computer can make that, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's no talent in that and uh, I was quite wrong. But uh, but it's funny that this is where I am now. It's kind of um, the same. Any guy with a bass or a guitar can play the guitar, but only certain people can make good music. So the same with the, the laptop, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just another instrument, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, has a serious palette of sounds though, which is can be daunting. Like when you open up one of those DAWs, it's like you've thousands of sounds at your fingertips. Like yeah. Well, I find is you always come back to this once you find the things you like, you always come back to them. You know. Mm. And when will we see that project? Uh, when will it see the light of day? Uh, this year, at some point, we we basically have an album. We made an album over the course of the year, uh, which is getting mixed this week. So, like, for me, my goal is to be a, is to continue to be a session musician, a touring session musician. David's goal is to continue with his studio and and make this studio a success. So, although we would like the project to be successful, it's not it's not you know to be all and end all. Mm. Um, but we do want to try and do it the right way and see if we can get some label interest in it. Uh, so I think things will hopefully start to trickle out in the summer. I'd say. So is that it's some... it's, it's, it's sorry it's 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 music that is made to make people dance and mm. for people to dance to you know so it kind of doesn't make any sense to do it while everything's still locked down and yeah. nobody can dance. You, you know? need a field and people so people can get drunk and dance or pop around like basically yeah but um it's funny you say that you're you want to remain a session musician so is that is that's the road you've consciously made wanted to be in you, you decided not to be the bass player in one band and that's your thing you'd you want to be like a session guy playing a bunch of projects all the time yeah pretty much uh i went to bim when i was 23 uh so that was nine years ago now um and when i first started out in bim i thought that it would be a case of you know, I'll meet some people and we'll start a band. And that did happen. But um, I was getting, my lectures were, were uh, you know, Paul Moore, who's Van Morrison's MD, yeah. uh, Robbie Malone, who who plays David Gray, and then Keith Farrell, who plays with bloody everybody. Um, so I kind of realized that the, the a career as a session musician was actually a, a tangible thing and an achievable thing because I never would have kind of crossed my mind beforehand. Obviously, I would have known of all the greats, you know, with Jamerson, et cetera. Mm. Um, but never would have thought that it would be something that I could do but um yeah just from playing with loads of different people in BIM I realized it was something that I was good at mm. and uh and and decided to make a stab at that and you started as a, a metal a metal guy that's that's what you were into back in the day like yeah yeah I first started playing guitar when I was about 12 or 13 I was really into uh, Metallica mainly um like metal and grunge I guess um so you know from the ages 12 to 16 I was in my bedroom with my crappy Aria Strat ripoff uh, <laughs> and a tiny little lamp or, or eventually upgrading to like a Marshall MG30 and just playing uh, like playing through Master of Puppets and playing any Metallica riff that I could, I could learn. I was never, you know, I could never solo. I was never mm. a lead guy, but I eventually became a, a decent at rhythm, which I guess... Well, obviously James Hetfield is like the king of metal rhythm playing, so that's decent way to That's it, yeah. Yeah. But it meant that I kind of transitioned then when I when my friend's metal band needed a bass player 
and because they already had two guitar players it's the usual story i think this is the origin story for about 90 percent of the bass players yeah you know? it is <laughs> <laughs> was it the same with you yeah yeah uh, no actually i went straight to bass but okay. I, I i just any instrument would do i just wanted to be like i was kind of one of those kids i played sports but i didn't really like playing sports and i was looking for a new thing and I was tr- I tried to get into c- programming computer games and I was terrible at that. So then some lads were playing music. So I said I'd give that a go. And they said, if you play the bass, you'll get in a band. So I got a lend the bass. <laughs> that was it. Well, that's the thing. There's always a billion guitar players. Even when I was studying in BIM, I think there was like 13 bass players in my year. There was, I don't know, 50 guitar players or 60 guitar players or something like that. <laughs> yeah, um, you'll, de- you'll definitely get work as a bass player. Ho- always, totally. hopefully. Yeah, but I think it, it gives you more time than playing with people and playing with, as, with more people you know so it helps hone your craft in that way i think anyway um yeah i was big into metal um when i was around 17 or 18 i was like big into bands like avenge sevenfold and and uh and stuff like that um and then just kind of slowly over the years i my tastes mellowed a bit i suppose mm. you could say i still like uh, have a real soft spot for metallica but i think i was reading some paper or psychology thing whatever music you're listening to as a teenager you know how your brain is developing so much at that time it's like yeah. deep rooted in your neurons that you love that music and you think it's the best ever and yeah it's it, no matter it's just it is it's not subjective right and it's just you are loving it no matter what so yeah i still listen to metallica and i, I can't get enough of it whenever i put it on like you know yeah i've definitely had the same experience with that and I, I when, when tool brought out their most recent album last year I went and listened to it and I was like, this is not good. I didn't and, like that and, album at all either though. And no. I still love all the old albums. <laughs> but it made me question whether I loved all those old, or whether I actually loved all those old Adam albums legitimately or whether it was just like nostalgia. But then I went and listened to them and I was like, no, these all still absolutely yeah. smash. They still stand up. Like I'm the same with Chili Peppers because I loved them, but it's kind of a meme in the music thing online saying Royal Chili Peppers are terrible. But anytime I yeah. listen to Blood Sugar Sess Magic, I still think it's one of the best albums ever made. Like I can't get yeah, it. Yeah, I... I kind of missed that wave. I missed the chilies. I never really listened to them. Uh, I mean, I, I knew Californication and stuff like that, but like the early, really funky stuff, I never really listened to. And uh, a couple of months back, I was trying to learn. Um, uh, oh God, what's it called? Um, Terror Power Track. Uh, what is hip? Mm. Do you know that song? Uh, no, I don't know. Is, did Chilies do a cover of it or? No, no, but like it's it's a Rocco Prestia on bass who mm. he died he died last year and uh, and just his stamina at like fingerstyle like sixteen notes is insane. So what his hip is like sixteen notes kind of mm. throughout. Um, and I posted a video on my story on Instagram of me like playing it at like ninety percent speed or ninety five percent speed or something like that. And uh, Neil Darrington, I don't know if you know Neil. No, uh, he's an amazing bass player. Um, he's playing a band called Bark. Um, same with Denise Chyla, I think at the moment. Oh, uh, Bar- he- I, I I know that band. Yeah, it's, I think we did a gig with them one time. Did they have okay. a cover project and an original project? Yeah, 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 yeah. We I played with the cover project one. They were really good. Gin and Juice. Yeah, I think it was them. Cla- he's yeah. class bass player. Yeah, yeah. Neil's amazing. Um, but he sent me. He was like, actually, if you want to, uh, you know, improve your sixteen note finger style or uh, jumping octaves. Uh, here's this chili song. Oh, and here's this chili song for this. And he's like, and all of them just went back to like classic chili songs that I that I completely passed me by. And I was like, That's shit, what I taught him how to do it back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, when I was like crying listening to Radiohead in my early twenties. <laughs> I would have been better off uh, listening to Chili's instead. Yeah, I missed. All. I actually have. I was going doing. I was rooting through my old stuff, and I have the the kit, the ticket stub to Chili Peppers live. No Slane. way. <laughs> so yeah, Thanks, I was guys. a big fan, but I don't really listen to them much anymore. I'm reading Fle- Flea's biography at the moment, and uh, it's really good. It's weird the way it's written. It's like there's like two pages in each chapter, so like the book is has a ridiculous amount of. tiny tiny chapters it's like two pages and then there's a new heading two pages that's kind of the formula of it it's very flea the way it's done like (laughs) he's amazing though in 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 general like uh aside from his bass playing obviously he's a a great trumpet player as well and actor yeah he was in um back to the future uh what was the the thing with the dude uh the big lebowski he's in loads of great films yeah just turns up randomly when you don't expect him at all yeah, I think he talks about that in the book. It was he was doing that kind of mo- before Chili's hit. He was doing the acting almost a bit more, like right. But I didn't get to the end of it yet, so no juicy stories. He still is still <laughs> only the child. He hasn't even started playing bass yet, so <laughs> I okay. need to get into it a bit more. I was uh, I was talking to uh, to my friend Jake the other day. Um, this, this is going to feel like I'm just dropping names all the time, but I, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there's loads of people in the industry that we know. Uh, yeah, even though we've never met before, oh, Ireland is Curran. tiny, like you know. Uh, Jake Curran is who I'm talking about, guitar player. Do you know Jake? Um, I don't think I don't know. I, pro- I probably have met him. Like at, uh, I've been yeah. in CB State Crowback Chicken for like ten years, and we do like over a hundred gigs a year up and down yeah. Ireland. So we meet everyone eventually. But he was talking about uh, Anthony Kiedis' book, The Star- uh, Scar Tissue. I read that. Yeah, that's that's really that's a really wild. good biography. Yeah, I was saying yourself, yourself and Connor King, you're both like, you came up as two really in-demand session fellas in Ireland. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you both play like synth bass as well as normal bass. Yeah, I think uh, in the, the session world, it's about versatility. And uh, so kind of just being able to do everything because if, like I've, I've, I work as a musical director as well. And, and if it's the choice between hiring somebody who can do one thing or hiring somebody who can do two things pretty well, it's usually the, that person's going to get the job every time uh so i think the main reason i got into playing synth bass was because i got the gig with james vincent mcmorrow and uh, so i knew that there was going to be some synth bass stuff on that so i had to had to kind of get down to it and i bought um a moog sub fatty like five years ago now mm. um i just kind of got used to it because what i liked about that synth in particular was that it didn't have it doesn't have um like a screen so with some of the other ones, like with the little fatty, there's a screen and you can save like, you know, 150 presets or something like that. Whereas the the sub fatty only has 16 presets, like mm. uh, four banks of four. Um, so it meant that I kind of, it forced me to learn how to synthesize bass yeah. sounds rather than just like flicking through all the presets. No, and that, going, oh, that yeah, makes that, complete that. sense. Like it's, you, you, you just, when there's too many options, you're not, and presets, you won't learn anything because there's a lot to that learning about all them waves and how yeah. the, the attack and the release and all that stuff, like. Yeah, Connor's really, really great for that as well. Um, he, I think he plays a Novation bass station, and uh, he's definitely at it. Like he, I think in general he probably practices way more than I do. Anyway, I'm I'm really bad when it comes to practice, and a lot of the time my practice will be like when I'm in the rehearsal room with the band. Mm. If if I'm if I'm playing with somebody new, obviously I'll, I'll I have spent time learning their music or whatever. But it's rare that I sit down and and uh, and practice. But um, would, yeah, would the synth bass thing. Would you say getting good at synth bass is more about? understanding the sounds than fit, getting fast at, and f- too crazy fluid with your fingers it's more about totally. understanding how to make the sounds like. 
Totally, yeah, because like in the modern like in the modern pop kind of world, you're not really ever going to be playing some mad like like Michael Jackson, Greg Fillingane's like synth based part. You're just gonna be playing mm. the root note. You know, yeah. you're just gonna be playing the one. You're effectively kind of uh filling in for where like an eight oh eight would be on a on a on a on a record. So mm. it's about knowing how to make those sounds, as you say. Yeah. That's way more important. And um, what does being a, to you like being a musical director mean? Because I've had other people on talking to them, and it's kind of different opinions. Like some people say, you're you're like a, a parent. You're stopping people from disappearing on the tour, go messing or whatever. <laughs> and other people say you have to make all the sheets. And other like it's kind of ambiguous to me. Like what what's it mean? Yeah. So it's prob- what does it mean to you being a musical director? I think it's definitely a, it, it is a fluid thing. Um, most of my experience of doing it have been within the context of um this new year's eve show uh, it's called turning pirate mixtape that happens at vicar street every year and i've done that for like six years now where there's a house band and then like loads of kind of big name irish singers like lisa hannigan and paul noon and people like that come through and usually it's like a mix it's basically just like a party so it's a mixture of of covers and then they do some original songs as well um so for me, that was just always about picking the best musicians, but also picking people who are sound, picking people who know that you will be working long hours in prep for it and there'll be an absolute ton of music to learn for it, but it'll all be worth it because you get to spend, you know, four or five hours on stage on New Year's Eve just having the crack, basically, mm. and playing deadly songs. So um, I've never really had to do any, like, prepping lead sheets for people i i kind of it's it's basically like it's management you know yeah. and it's it's delegation so it's making sure that people who are involved know what they need to be doing like i'll do a lot of prep i'll i'm i'm I'll always go to town with like a, a microsoft excel spreadsheet of like all the song information uh if there's a change of key from what the original version is you know all that kind of stuff mm. um and because I know everybody who's involved in the gig is good enough to just go away and learn it. Yeah. That I I don't need to go and 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 make up the charts for them. So I mean I'm lucky in in that respect, but also I put myself in that position by picking those people. If that makes sense. Mm. And do you play bass for the whole show as then in the house band? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like the band leader. Um. But like the gig will start at half eight and finish at like half one. That's it's class. wild. It's like uh, into- Almond Brothers at the Filmer East, like playing all night. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> But but it's it's like it's usually like thirty five songs, and um, between maybe eight guests, and because the Christmas period is normally so mental for gigs, what we'll do is we'll meet up as a house band. It's normally like a fourteen piece house band, and um, so we'll meet up as a house band maybe a week or two before Christmas and just break the back of the songs together, and mm. um, just like tops and tails basically how we'll get into songs, how we we'll get out yeah. of songs, and then. Um, between christmas and new year's eve so usually like the 28th and 29th there'll be two 12-hour days booked in a rehearsal studio somewhere each singer will have like an hour and a half to come in and rehearse songs to the band and then on new year's eve we get into Vicar street at like 10 a.m um everything gets set up over the course of a couple of hours and then the singers come in from one and we run the whole show and so it's it's intense but that's it's hardcore so that's fun. that's a long day a lot of coffee needed to get on yeah, that day. <laughs> did you ever find yeah. eating drinking red bull or drinking coffee affects your tempo because i'm not <laughs> i'm not a big coffee drinker but when i was in tour in spain they love espressos and all that yeah and one night just before i went on stage your man hit me with two or like it must be a triple espresso or some shite 
and it was so hard. It was like being drunk or something. I could feel yeah, myself swaying. Going mental. I just wanted to go fast all night. And the drummer had him as well, like, and we were both <laughs> flying through <laughs> the songs. And the singer was running out of breath. He was kind of like, Jesus. what's wrong with you tonight? Slow the fuck down. Uh, I'm not a big coffee drinker, thankfully. Um, and I don't think caffeine really has that much of an effect. I drank a lot of Coke when I was like in my teens. Mm. Uh, way too much. And I don't really get a buzz from drinking like a Red Bull or a Monster uh, Monster. Um, energy drink mm. like if I'm if I'm driving home from a, a cover gig or a wedding gig at like 2 or 3 in the morning and I'm exhausted I'll stop and get one of those but uh, I'm, I'm, I haven't had that experience thankfully <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten what that's like now you know that oh you're you've been driving for like 6 or 7 hours it's like 6 in the morning your yeah. eyes are hanging out of your head you're kind of swaying back and forth like it's going to think... be weird to go back to that yeah do you, do you think that for like how long do you think it'll take to get back to that Jesus another wedding you know oh god I, think I don't know it'll be, it'll be I, a long time everyone's going to be so grateful for just kicking again I don't know I think this perspective has changed like I, I don't really want to do that as much anymore that mm. up did you do a lot of wedding gigs never never we used we done a few because I'm in an original band really and I do a bit of depping with a, a Hector Castilla he's like a, a doc, Mr. Castle he's like a okay. Venezuelan blues guitarist from Dublin Deadly. But um, we didn't. We've done a few weddings for fans, like. But that was all. So I never was in the wedding scene. But we do like sometimes we might play in Port Rush, which is at yeah. the top of Ireland, and we we'd come from Tipperary and Cork, play the gig and drive home. So you get home around seven in the morning, like. So I've done the Yikes. long drives. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. But I don't I know. Remember, do I want to uh, go back to it? That's what I'm saying. I think after all this break, a lot of us are changing our perspective, and we can we might think about our health a bit more, like, and you might say is it worth driving for that long and staying up that long or just hurting your body for a hundred yeah. quid when I do some, I do lessons and other stuff. I say I could make a hundred quid doing that just at home and, and not go and do, do that. And your, your, um, your cachet like, or your value as a band, as an original band goes down when you're always on the scene and people, then they're just like, Asher, oh, sure, I'll see them again. Or they're always around. So, Totally. I think a lot of people are changing, but it's different for wedding bands. They have to be on going all the time. Yeah. I, I was never actively like in a wedding band, but I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years depping um, for, for wedding bands and stuff like that. Uh, just because it's, if you, when, when you're off tour, like I started touring with James in uh, summer of 2016. And when you're away for a year and a half, everybody thinks you're away then forever. So when you get home, you have to like go find all the gigs again. Yeah. So, um, it's a it's a good way to kind of supplement that when you're when you're not touring, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I was never really big on on like if if somebody asked me to dep a wedding in Kerry or something like that, unless not that it's all about the money, but you know you need the bills mm. have to get paid. So unless the money was really good, I would more often than not say no because I don't want to drive for five and a half hours and, exactly. And, and, and as you say, get home at seven o'clock in the morning. You know, it takes a toll on you know all those late nights. Is it weird for you like going from? I was it with Vincent that you played the Sydney Opera House? Yeah. yeah. So you're playing the Sydney Opera House one week and then the next week you're playing in Ballycotton for someone's wedding yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a weird like uh, juxtaposition? I think you just have to appreciate the things uh, while while you're in in the moment, you know. I think uh, the first, first tour with James, right, that first year and a half, I... I was very, um, what's the word? I was pretty like chill about it all. Um, 
because obviously like when I started playing guitar at 12 13 years of age I wanted to be you know a rock star mm-hmm. as everybody does but I well by that I mean like I wanted to go and play music around the world and here I was at 27 doing it but I was like well this is my job it's you know it's like it's just the equivalent of somebody going to the office and it's yeah. not really it's not really it kind like, of but we, we we like to say that but it, you can't really have a beer in the office <laughs> it's just slightly well, true. different true yeah well I, I I don't know I I, I just kind of I felt that I had put the work in in order to be there and that I deserved to be there um, and was quite kind of lax about it. And I actually regretted it like a, a year later when mm. I hadn't been touring for, for ages uh, or we'd been off tour with James rather. Um, and I regretted not kind of embracing the moments a bit more. When we, when, I, when we played the Sydney Opera House, I did like think shit, this is Sydney Opera House. Is it, what's it like inside? Is it like it's well fitted man. out for a gig? Like, Oh yeah. Well, there's there's two or three different um, rooms in there. So like we were sitting uh, backstage in like the in the catering area, which is huge. Um, and you know, the call comes along on the radio for uh, the people of the James Vincent McMorrow Company. This is your five minute stage call, that kind of thing. You know, so it was more it was more like a, a theater kind of world. Um, but no, it was amazing. Uh, but yeah, not every gig can be the Sydney Opera House. And no. I'll tell you when. We finished with him in October 2017. We finished that tour. And then I had a few bits to carry me over into Christmas and New Year's. And then there was nothing for three months. And I was so depressed because <laughs> I had put all my worth in being a session musician mm. and, and playing music. And I wasn't doing it. Um, and I got a call to do a gig in in the middle of March. And I remember going into the rehearsal room and the guitar player complaining about lifting his having to lift his big amp in out of the boot of the car and i was like man i'm so happy i'm so glad yeah. to be lifting gear into a rehearsal room right now so as you say it's the perspective that, ch- that changes all the time mm. um i think in terms of me being kind of a bit blasé about playing places like sydney opera house playing on in-ears i find kind of because it removes you from the room yeah. I think that's part of the reason why, because why I, I, I wasn't as appreciative as I, I should have been, and um, because it just takes you out of the room a little bit. So that's that's my excuse. You could get one of those. I haven't got one yet, but I've heard good things about those uh, bass kicker uh, ba- drummers use them a lot. It's like a a thing you put on you and it rumbles. Yeah, and you feel the rumble of the bass. Uh, might I, I might get I was, one. Like I, I was looking initially at. Um, Porter and Davies who make the butt kicker for for drummers mm. they make like a, a platform that you can stand on um that's I heard really good things about though I know it looks it seems like an absolute gimmick but everyone says it's really yeah. good with James um his engineer would want the the onstage volume to be kind of quiet so I wouldn't have like a I had like a an EBS uh like two 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 by twelve like two separate 12 um, yeah. inch speakers um, to like by my hip basically so I could feel some low end but it wasn't very loud it wasn't like I had a big like 8 by 10 behind me or anything like that yeah um, I love that so the, I love having I, the fridge that's class like when you're at a festival me too that's it it's literally what I was going to say yeah that's, that was the one time that I got to actually experience those when we were playing festivals and particularly with um, going back to, to key to key bass to synth bass like all you want to do as a bass player is feel those feel those low end frequencies. Mm. So if you're playing uh, a synth bass and you're on ears and you don't have a wedge as well on the floor, then that can be uh, 
can make it make you feel a bit disconnected mm. yeah definitely like you're not feeling the power even though you're how how big is the PA system at the opera house or it's thousands yeah. of watts and you're pushing out yeah. that, those thousands of watts but you're not really feeling that power like yeah I remember uh, I remember for one of the Turn and Pirate New Year's Eve shows it might have been the first one I did and it was my first experience playing with Lisa Hannigan and I obviously had the amp like cranked or something on stage at mm. the time and Lisa was like, can, is, can, you know, can we just kind of maybe look at bringing the volumes down a bit? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And I was like, rolled all the low end out of my bass. Like it was, it was, it was about doing what was right for the song. Mm. Uh, but I don't know if you've had that experience where you're in a room, maybe that's like super um, resonant with certain bass frequencies and the singer can't hear themselves uh, naturally enough. So, you know, when you turn like, if you, if you leave your tone where it is uh, aside from the low end and pull all the low end out, it kind of just feels feels like you feel like a dog with your tail between your legs i find in those circumstances yeah like, well, i, I actually bass, do that but... as to review, bring my volume up sometimes if, if the lads like there's not all right if i feel the bit i don't have enough presence or volume i actually give myself more bass and not more volume and it fixes sure. it yeah you can feel it better then yeah for sure yeah i didn't really have that my first big gig was um in the band we we did this like battle of the bands for glastonbury we only had an ep at the time so my first thing i did big thing was playing Glastonbury so I was like Wowie. I was amazed by it because it's like a thousand acres and we did seven gigs at it like so like because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we went over like we got the one gig on the BBC stage but uh, me and the drummer Jeff we got like a satchel of cans do you know the do you know the satchel that your um your tent comes in you know the the kind of thing that you can put over your shoulder or yeah, the yeah, camping yeah. bags come in so we filled yeah. we filled one of them each up with cans and we just walked around the whole site I went to all the stages and we got six more gigs just doing that like just by going to the stages yeah Glastonbury every stage it's kind of, well the picnic is the same but a bit more strict um, everyone is, has their own autonomy over their stage and what they do like yeah so they gave us slots we got gigs yeah no bother <laughs> extra gigs that's insane six extra gigs and uh, class great crack and so I definitely appreciate that but now you know after a few years doing it you don't appreciate it as much but since it was my first yeah. time playing any kind of big show was going to that big festival i definitely was amazed by it like that's unbelievable what was it was it was it uh did you like when you got those extra six gigs were you offered like payment for any of those gigs or was oh god like, no not a no, chance yeah. <laughs> you never get paid sure we didn't even get paid yeah. for the gig we did i don't think <laughs> that was actually part of the reason why i decided to be a session bass player uh because there's there's so much less responsibility you know you just have to be responsible for yourself and regardless of whether five people show up to the gig or 500 people show up to the gig you're still getting paid yeah no it's a tough slog the the original band scene but sure it's completely wrong anyway the way the festivals are run like why are people at the festival to see the band who are the only ones at the festival that don't get paid the bands bands. okay (laughs) i remember uh i'm trying to think what it was but i think i played in a band when i was coming up in dundalk i played in a band called take the money and run um and we definitely played some sort of gig that crow black chicken played as well mm. um i think it might have been maybe you'll, you'll correct me if i'm wrong but might have been the uh the hot press was called like something something tiger or tiger or something it was in mullingar oh geez uh we didn't do much we've never really done much with hot press to be honest so i'm not right. sure apart from pat carty no pat wears the kind of cowboy hat 
He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts a, he gives us a little he throws us in wherever he can, but we wouldn't be that cool, you know, to be getting in hot press all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really have spreads on blues rock bands too often. Yeah. What are you guys working on at the moment? Uh, at, nothing, just downtime because we're just we're just doing absolutely nothing. So we we were supposed to be in England this week. Obviously, we're not yeah. going to be. Then it was April, and now it's November. So nothing. I'm just doing practicing away and doing my own thing at the moment sure but once gigs come back we're a live band really like so we'll get yeah. back at it then you know how much uh how many hours a week would you spend practicing do you think or are you, are you basing your hand every single day <laughs> well i went through a bad period there for about six months where i didn't practice at all and then um i was talking to i can't like Ren, rennie floxenhauer do you know the guy who does the the videos for um he his episode will probably be out before this one do you know the guy who does the bass in bass the world no, that yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah, he has to be. He has a big, really nicely sculpted beard, much better than mine. Um, he because uh, I my my and I was talking to Niway to Sumba. Do you know Niway? He's like a Congolese guitarist, lives in Dublin. I don't know him. We had a big chat on on Zoom, and um, I was telling him my practice routine before I hit the slump. I was like saying it was broken into like fifteen minute segments, fifteen minute scales. 15 minutes doing this and that and he was like that's crazy man how can you practice like that that's and then I was I started rethinking it and then Rennie was saying he just practices to the drum beat for like two hours right. taking out like bars of the beat to improve his internal pulse his and I internal I, clock yeah I just started doing that and I'm really enjoying it and for the last two weeks I've been practicing about two hours a day doing that and I find it it's much more rewarding than it's probably because there's no gigs like I'm just enjoying doing yeah. that and before I was woodshedding scales and stuff but I knew I had two or three gigs at the weekend coming up so I suppose that's why I got sick of doing practicing the way I was I think it's about though like whatever works for you because what you're saying there about like doing 15 minutes of of, of practice of this and then moving on to something else for 15 minutes that like shows serious amount of focus to be able to do that you know and and to commit to something mm. for that space of time um yeah, I, I've never really been a big practicer, uh, um, which has come back to bite me in the arse a couple of times. But uh, <laughs> Well, or, not really. Like, you're you're one of the top session guys in Ireland. So you're, has, yeah, or has I, it been some times where you felt like you weren't ready or you, you should have had more chops than you expected? Never, ever in, like, a, an actual, like, a, an original session world. Work. I wouldn't think so. Um, like, when it comes to slap bass, like, I'd be telling pe- people, like, you don't really... I, I, I really... I, I probably someone will probably prove me wrong but I don't think you're ever going to get asked to do something complicated with slap bass at a paid gig like no. m- maybe one pop or slap but it, that's easy but to do something the, crazy I don't think you're ever going to get asked to do it on a paid gig no I think the only time I've ever slapped a bass in a professional capacity was like you call me out in a cover gig you know <laughs> yeah I mean? that song yeah Um, but like none of the uh like artists or acts that I've played with has ever required that but so when I say it comes back to bite me in the arse, I remember playing um, with a cover band called, um, just, <laughs> I haven't gigged in so long that my brain has just gone to mush. <laughs> um, ah, Jesus. Um, Sophista Funk. They're like a funk and soul kind of cover band. Mm. And Tommy Gray, who was the drummer in, who's the drummer in Bark, uh, who we were talking about earlier. Tommy's a drummer and, I had only met him a couple of times and I was like a huge fan of him as a person and as a, as a, as a drummer, he's phenomenal. And it was that kind of thing of not necessarily wanting to impress him, but just wanting to, you know, do a good job. Yeah. And, uh, and I just had a nightmare on the gig. Like I was just making mistakes <laughs> everywhere. Really? Uh, 
Yeah, and it was just the kind of thing that if I'd spent some more time, like, you know, working on right-hand stamina or whatever, you know, that stuff, when you build that up by, by putting in the hours rehearsing, it just stays in you, I think, mm. you know, um, and I didn't, I didn't really do that. So uh, I eventually was like, oh, I, I can't do this. I'm just going to take the pick out and just play with the pick. And I know that I can do fancy stuff with playing with the pick because mm. I'm not going to trip over my fingers. Mm. Um, but that was like, he, I don't think he even noticed, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not the kind of thing that only you notice your mistakes unless they're yeah. really, really bad. And, and, and if they're really bad, you just do them again the second time in the same, same spot in the bar. And then it's not a mistake. You meant to do it. <laughs> yeah but so you don't practice you're not you're not practicing much at the moment at all then you're just kind of no um towards the kind of latter half of last year um myself a drummer called Faker kinder uh jake curran the guitar player i was talking about earlier on and uh and uh luke uh what's luke's surname luke um dunford who's a keys player the four of us got together and started just like meeting up once a week to jam like uh funk and soul tracks but like you know not superstition so you know kind of off kilter stuff just for ourselves and just for kind of improving our chops and playing um you know kind of 70s and 80s deep cuts and playing uh lettuce you ever listen to lettuce um i've seen lads doing covers of them on instagram but i haven't really listened to them much like they have class bass lines anyway yeah they're class um but i wasn't really doing much playing at the time and uh it was really really good to be playing with those guys because they're all killer so it meant that i had to kind of up my game so that's when i was that's why i was learning uh what is hip the tower of power song um so that was really enjoyable because we were all actually spending some time practicing by ourselves and then coming in and and, and just playing together but playing for ourselves you know not mm. well we'll have to learn this song for a cover gig or for a wedding or whatever um so that was really enjoyable but uh yeah i don't i just i i don't since since i left bim anyway because i would have had to have spent time practicing for exams and stuff like that i don't really redo really any practice and no teach you don't teach at all really that's not something you've gone into or, or are going to go into not really no i think i don't know if i would have the patience to teach beginners and then I don't think I'm good enough to teach intermediate. <laughs> I'm sure you definitely are. I'm, I I just finished. Uh, well, I'm ne- I'm, ne- I'm doing a, a base course for music generation to free area. I'm just about finished the videos now. It was tough, like to make the whole course and for the beginners, like. But yeah. the intermediate thing it would be another thing altogether. Then you'd have to come up with all these fancy things to show them. Yeah, was that all online? Uh, the course, it, it no, it's all videos, but they're not out in public. You have to, they have to sign up to it. So there's, well, I made will, fifty. Will, will that? Sorry, go on. Yeah, it's all online. Yeah, at, at the moment, anyway, there will be meetups once uh, okay. we're allowed, like with all the bass players who are involved. Like, but it's all online videos. I made like a, a full program without any copyrighted music. So I made all the backing tracks, wow. keyboards, and guitar and. Fair play. All this stuff, like, and it was, it was, it was a lot more work than I, I thought it was going to be. It was crazy. Uh, will that then translate to in-person teaching then when, when that can happen again? Uh, well, I do it at my own private lessons anyway, so I'm always, okay. but I don't get, there's very little demand for private bass students around where I am <laughs> anyway. Like, okay. I think people just yeah. don't understand the instrument and we ha- we're trying to get the word out, like, about bass, like, because learning bass is a lot more theory heavy then learning guitar like I, i've taught yeah. a good bit of beginner guitar and it's just chords and you're teaching songs but you, if you teach someone that on bass you won't really have taught them how to play the bass 
you have to teach them theory and rhythm and stuff. I did a I did a few lessons with um with uh, Louise. What's Louise's surname? The girl Her from brain the Blizzard. Work anymore. The girl yeah, from the Blizzard. Exactly. Louise Carroll. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I had done a bunch of gigs with her um, where she was singing backing vocals with Cece Brez. Do you know Brez? Uh, yeah, funk, kind of funk. Funky funk guy, yeah. Stuff, I used to yeah. play uh, guitar in Republic of Loose. Mm. And, um, and Louise, uh, basically, she'd got that gig with the Blizzards playing bass and she, she'd never really played bass before but was a guitar. She knew how to play guitar, so. Oh, I didn't um, know that. I know she's um, a psychologist or something. Is that her yeah. main profession? I think she's a child psychologist, maybe. But cool, she's also... She'd be good she's one also, to get on to talk about like stage fright or imposter yeah. syndrome or something like that. Oh, she, she's killer, yeah. Uh, um, she's a, a composer for film as well. She's oh, deadly. She's finger in many pies. But um, when she approached me about teaching for teaching her some stuff um, prior to her playing with the Blizzards, I kind of just focused on like economy of movement mainly, mm. you know, uh, and and tone in terms of like playing an a on on the e string at the fifth yeah. fret or playing an open a and and when when you should do you know one or, or the other yeah um but yeah teaching i never really thought about it. I, I i did teach one class i dept one class in bim uh last year uh last minute which was which is good because they were first years but they were all it's easy to teach to a class of people who want to be taught how to play mm-hmm. the bass you know yeah As opposed to you know a kid who parents are forcing them to do it or or whatever the case may be but um yeah i don't know i don't know about teaching maybe <laughs> yeah well a lot of stuff i'm focused on is i'm trying to explain when to use your forefinger technique or when to use like what i call groove position you know when you you just use your first finger your second finger and your pinky and you yeah. stay so uh because a lot of guitar players playing guitar is, so, is different to bass in that way like you you should really use one finger per fret most of the time on the guitar but yeah. on bass i don't think you should it's it depends on the baseline or the groove or whatever like totally yeah and 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 it's going to sound different depending on on what finger you use to play it you know what i mean and how you approach the note once you get into the kind of nitty-gritty like that yeah so yeah you won't pursue it just yet but yeah well who knows like or how long this will go on you might get into it like but it's it, it, teaching bass online isn't as bad as teaching guitar because get bass guitar is cordial so they've got four fingers six strings yeah. you have to make sure they put them in the right place but when you're teaching bass through the internet there's only four strings and they're not playing them at the same time you see so how do you approach it then um for with a, with a newbie do you approach it from a theory perspective or do you approach it from like a a, a tab perspective if you like we start with we were using i, I call it full tab because that's what it's called on muse score so it's tab with rhythm i don't know if you've ever seen it so it's exactly uh, like oh yeah 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 yeah. so instead of the rhythms joining up landing on the dots they land on yeah. the numbers in the tab so yeah. i find that's really good because they can visually see the rhythms but they don't yeah. need to read the dots that's a good kind of middle ground like and i'm Would not a good be, uh, i'm not a big reader. reader myself like okay yeah i'm not really big reader myself either i, I learned a little bit from from a time in being but i never studied music in school because it wasn't in my school at the time um so what i found though from learning it in BIM, there's like loads of classic songs that have like similar bass rhythms. So mm. if you can identify that rhythm uh, on on you know on a um, on a stave, it all begins to kind of make a bit more sense. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like the little patterns that you can memorize and maybe plug into your own bass lines. That's uh, with yeah. Jamerson. That's really important. Like those little rhythms that he uses a lot. You need to kind of incorporate them into your own language. Like yeah. 
that was that was kind of the 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 like eureka moment for me in terms of when when I figured out what I what type of bass player I wanted to be was learning the, um, about Jamerson and like Motown. That's why I bought that that P bass, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, he would be my my bass hero. Him and then uh, Pino Palladino, Carol Kay, and Rutger Gunnarsson, who was like the ABBA bass player. Oh yeah, I'm not really well. I've heard ABBA songs. Yeah, they're yeah. bass playing in class, but I haven't learned any of these parts. Like, oh, there's there's a lot in there. It's really really great. Um, yeah, ABBA can be quite for some people are quite like throwaway. But I kind of came up listening to ABBA because my mom was a big ABBA fan. Mm. So I, I say I'm a big ABBA fan, but the truth is I've never really listened to anything outside of ABBA Gold. You know, <laughs> yeah, and the bass. You probably only listen to the bass lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's like a Pantera. You know, I think if you listen to uh, to Reinventing Hell, the greatest hits record, you kind of mm. don't need to listen to any, anything else. Yeah, it's um, just a class record. But, I love Pantera back in the day. Like, <laughs> Dime yeah. was such a class guitarist. His tone, his metal, his well, tone was, could be a bit off sometimes for metal musicians, but he, the playing was always spot on. Like, yeah, he was incredible. Yeah, I would definitely would have been listening to that from a guitarist perspective rather than a bass player's perspective. Mm. So I'd be interested maybe to go back now and listen to that stuff. Oh, your man um, is a beat is brilliant, Rex. Like the way he Rex, keeps up with yeah. the riffs and does some cool stuff. Like, is he a finger player? Uh, I think I think he's a uh, plectrum, but no, is he? His finger yeah. style. Like, he plays with Zach Oil now as well. He always he's usually rocking a Warwick or something like that. Right, you have a nice collection behind you there. <laughs> yeah, I, cheap ones like nothing. The only one that's expensive. Well, I bought it. I got it second hand. The the Aerodyne, I suppose. Like, yeah. which is I want to get a second one of them. They do it in like dolphin grey as well. So, okay. I must get one. I don't really, I'm not too gone. I still can't get my head around the active bases. I have two of them and they're just, it's just too many options and they're too loud. If you haven't turned up too loud, I have all the stuff up on 10 and I still can't get a good sound out of an active bass really. Yeah. My, uh, my jazz, my, my Mexican jazz is active and, uh, I always have like the, the bass cranked the whole way up on that. Hmm. And then everything else is kind of at the, the midpoint. But I find if I'm on a gig where I am like flicking between the two basses, if I if I uh, play the jazz bass and then go and play the P bass, all of a sudden all that low end is gone and it yeah. feels harder almost to play it, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but yeah, my, my music man is is, uh, is active as well, but I don't really play that that much anymore. I just sold one of those um, sub five strings. I didn't wasn't into it at all like i got this square five string and um it has absolutely huge string spacing which is perfect for someone okay. who doesn't play five string because you don't get confused <laughs> between the strings and if you just want yeah, a five yeah. string to play some nice kind of open light not, not fancy fast stuff but a, a song that needs a five string if you get one with yeah. the huge string spacing it doesn't feel as alien as it would if it was a like your one the the sub is, has like a very tight and you you get confused, like oh, I think I'm on the right string. No, I'm playing the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be much of a gearhead? Uh, well, I think most of us we go through phases, don't we? Like I was, I was when I was a teenager, I was into reading about it and getting stuff all the time. But I don't think I am anymore. But people would probably think I am because I have the wall of bass behind me. But not, I don't think so. Not really. I like twit messing around with like making Franken basses, like stick yeah. say like the neck off something i've loads of broken bases people know me as someone who likes messing around with gear so they always give me broken stuff and i fix it like okay yeah i i, I went through the like the pedal board craze 
mm. um, about four or five years ago. But uh, once I got that PE base, I was like, that's it. I never need anything else. And have you learned a lot of the Jamerson lines? Like, they're, they're really yeah. hard. Like, they're hard to get they're note insane. for note. Like, Yeah, I, I remember learning for once in my life. And I would say, in terms of like accuracy to the record, I would say I'm like 95%. Because it's like almost the, the, like learning a solo. There's so many it, notes in it that don't repeat. And it's it's yeah. complicated. It took me 13 hours of just like solid focus to actually learn it. <laughs> and I just went through it section by section and just tried to memorize it. Um, um, but yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's just like, it's, it's an entire bass lesson in, in a, in, in, in a three minute song. Did you see the Vulpec video that I think was the drummer made it? It's like a, an in a graph. Like a visualization of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's class. Like it is really good. I, I, I would say from, from my 13 hours that I put into learning it, that he's not hundred percent on it, but that's okay. Oh, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, um, but I mean, that's like. I think it's it's interesting to approach something like that because Jamerson's whole thing was improv. So mm. if I spent 13 hours learning his baseline note for note, it's not really in the spirit of what he was trying to achieve, you know? No. Um, but I think there's a lot to learn from it just from learning how he approaches things. Yeah, well, you wouldn't, have picked those, you wouldn't have picked those notes if you were over-intellectualizing it because uh, some of them yeah. aren't in the key like or any relative key or anything like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's like the king of of like chromatic movement. Mm. Um, but obviously, it all comes from him like being a, a a double bass player initially. So it's he's just playing in like open position and first and second position all the time, and is never really playing up up the up the fretboard all that much. Um, but yeah, I I just don't think you can't really go wrong by by learning some of his stuff. And do you do you use the pedals much anymore, or is it just gathering dust in the corner like? <laughs> uh, a lot of them were sold yeah my my pedal board basically consists of a tuner a compressor a sans amp um and then i have a pog two um a chorus pedal which gets used every now and then and then my favorite pedal which never gets any use at all is uh it's this um like boutique company mr black it's called the Fwonk beta it's an envelope filter never heard of it uh it's it's the best envelope filter I've ever come across. I, I find with envelope filters, a lot of the time, they're a bit weedy. Where it's a hard sound to use, though. Send you... in, in a song or anywhere, because oh, it's yeah. so cheesy. Like, say, oh, here we go. Is it, what, do, what do my kids' students call it? The funky duck. It's like, oh, funky duck pedal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, send you, uh, I'll send you a link to... Uh, I think it's, you know, your man, Juan, is it Juan Alderon? Is that his name? The guy from... Yeah, the Mars Volta. Mm, is he okay? He had an um, accident. Okay, I don't know his, what, what's the story with him. He fell off his bicycle and hit his head. Yeah, I never followed up. Was it like a was it a motorcycle accident? No, pedal pedal bike. No, no other, no one else involved. Oh, he just no fell way. off. Like, oh my god, um, wow, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'll send you the video of him going through it because it's, it's unbelievable. But as you say, like it's so impractical. Like it's on mm. my board all the time, and it's probably the first thing that I turn on. You know when I'm just like turning my turning my amp on and making sure the volumes are all right. Mm. Um, it's so much fun, but it's it never gets used. So I mean, I could have a pedal board that just has a, a tuner, a compressor, and a preamp, and that'll that'll do it. Do you put a fuzz in front of it? Because I, I don't think they sound good unless you put a fuzz in front of the envelope filter. Uh, I don't. I've never tried that. Um, that they sound million, have, hundred times better if you put the fuzz before it. 
and then okay. all the frequencies that you're supposed to be affecting come out like okay okay um well as i said i i've tried a few different uh, envelope filters before and was i never was never happy with what i got out of them so maybe that would have made the difference i have um a proco rat distortion mm. pedal um as well but it's it's actually the guitar one uh so if i ever use that i use it in conjunction with like um i have um an electro harmonics boost pedal that has like uh bass treble gain and volume so i can just use them in conjunction so that none of the low end goes missing um but again like when 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 am i ever going to use yeah. those pedals on any See, of i i can i can find an excuse to use them you know I'm like oh i'll write this bass line and i'll, I'll use this yeah. pedal just for the crack <laughs> it has to be used the bass line doesn't sound right if i don't use that pedal now you're totally right yeah, I have a Synthwah. It's like a Digitech pedal and it, it does some crazy synth sounds. And I definitely couldn't the do... The green one. The green one, yeah. I have two yeah. of them. One broke, like... But it's great crack. If you ever... If you get your hands on one, it does some outrageous sounds, like... I have one. Um, When I started playing with Robot Rock, Mark, the drummer, had one and he gave it to me. Um, So I should probably get back to him at some point. Oh, but, no, uh, keep it. <laughs> yeah. I have that and I have um the Electro Harmonics bass synth uh, in a box somewhere. Don't use it. Um, a lot of the time for me I don't really need synth pedals because I'm playing synth bass most mm. of the time um, now anyway but uh, yeah they're always throws fun do you ever play um, one of the the Mutron synth pedals no never they're unbelievable it's like from the 70s or something like that yeah they're a huge Keith. footprint aren't they like they're a big massive thing they're enormous yeah uh, Keith Farrell in BIM brought one in one day and I couldn't get over it, it sounded amazing like when 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 I was 17 18 i would have been a really big fan of muse mm. so like the synth tone from like his uh hysteria and and stuff like that i think that's kind of what you get from those kind of pedals yeah he's class i i, I have like a fake woolly mammoth but it, it does not sound anything like chris wolfenstein's tone like i must right. someday i'll get a real one but they're a bit dear for like, <laughs> a fuzz pedal <laughs> yeah did you see those um uh panda audio make them now the deep impact yeah that's what i was gonna say i thought it was the deep impact that he uses for all his um synth sounds yeah usually they're unreal they're very expensive though as well mm, but the, the reissue is not that dear though i don't think it's like oh really four or five hundred or something uh maybe still less it's still, maybe it's still expensive <laughs> yeah so i was i'll probably get the hx stomp as my next um thing because everyone says it's cool thing it's it's the pedal to get like yeah, I've seen that. All right, yeah, Connor has one. A few other people I know have one, and I've been raving about them. And I think the uh, the like amp simulation, the preamp simulation on them is really really good. But I'm like, I plug my P bass into whatever, and it sounds great, and I'm happy enough. Yeah, it's a bit of effort, isn't it? As well, when you're at home all the time, to put the, the boards take up so much room. It's just like, could you be bothered? Like, yeah, I I just use the plugins in in Logic. Like, it has like filters and loads of stuff, and you can get whatever sound you want most of the time yeah totally yeah i mean it's all there and it's already not taking up space because it's in your laptop already so the bit crusher is really cool if you put ever put it get a bit crusher plug in put it on your base and some fuzz you can get some crazy like computer game sounding sounds right okay yeah i'll give it already good to the ear though because i put up a video of one on instagram and i like i call it like a digital tumbleweed so when you get no likes or comments <laughs> it's it's the polite way of people saying that was shite so yeah. <laughs> put up this super bit crunched bass line and I thought it was great and it was just like silence I was like yikes I guess that wasn't great <laughs> how long have you been at it then in, in terms of like um, kind of 
the like not aside from the podcast but just like the pursuing the kind of instagram world uh, i just did well my girlfriend rebecca about about four years ago just said oh you you should have a profile and i was like oh i didn't have any like at the time and i just so i made one and then i just started uploading them and i'm just kind of busy at the moment because it's kind of it, it encourages me to play the bass a bit more i'm like i want to make a 20 second video so i go on youtube play transcribe some stuff and then whatever i take away from it i'll make 20 seconds of music out of it so okay. at the moment it's just a way to get playing the bass like but i'm not i, I just do it for fun really like and yeah. i don't know what is it I, where there's what could you really get out of it like I, some people say you can get gigs out of it but I, i've never really been approached by anyone or got that kind of stuff out of it but it's a fun community though it's there, there's a lot of people i find instagram is very positive like people are encouraging and haven't encountered any trolls or anything like that so i don't really yeah. have any negative things to it and it doesn't take up too much of my time i'm not too bad at scrolling through it like yeah well i i uh recently have seen like had a few likes come in on different videos and like i'll go on to the profiles as a like, random brazilian guy and it's like followed by Stephen mcgrath <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's I, like great you've i got follow a good few people like, all right <laughs> yeah but it's like it fosters that kind of community you know and, and even what you're doing now with, with the podcast totally does as well because even like there's, there's loads of amazing older bass players that you know you've been kind of um you've interviewed already uh that you would like for me anyway i'd know their names like obviously i've known keith duffy's name for a long time but i've only actually mm. met keith like once and that was last yeah. year um so it's it's good obviously you're never going to be on a gig with another bass player so i think no. something like this is really good to 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 uh to keep the community going you know yeah i think originally i was just thinking there's all these guys that we know their names but we never have seen an interview with them and who's going to do the interview I, I said I'll just do it like I'll get the because yeah. I want to hear what they have yeah, to is, say is there like, a reason behind why you've never seen any interviews with all these <laughs> bass players <laughs> I, I think we're pretty good you know we're grand well other bass players enjoy listening to it that's the main thing that's it <laughs> it's it's a real niche you know like but sure we're, we're all at home at the moment like so once yeah. gigs come back people probably won't be around to do interviews like at the moment it's like do you want to do a chat and everyone's always at home like but yeah, it's a uh, highlight of my week. There's like nothing else on this week. <laughs> That's good. Good to hear, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I I definitely like chased the dragon on uh, on the Instagram videos. You know, back a couple of years ago. Hmm. Um, you know, getting the the you know, dopamine hit from all the likes coming in. How do you find that? Um, I'm pretty good on it. Like, what I just post and ghost. Like, it's kind of okay. po- po- I'm trying to get up my followers by doing by following other people. Mm. So I follow a certain amount every day. Like, but I, I'm not too. I was really bad. Like when I used make. I think what happened was, um, when I started first, I used make more complicated videos. Like I do. I I'm not really good at doing loop covers, but I I was thinking people would like that. So I learned like Dr. Dre songs and Phil Collins songs, and I did the whole loop. And, and the chords and the melody and the beat and that's not really my thing so it used to take me hours like it could it was the whole week it was my week's work went into right. this video and then I kind of felt like I needed to get something back from it and it was disappointing if I didn't but now the videos I'm doing the 20 second ones they're just part of my hour long practice routine okay. it, it's, it's not any effort so if people don't like get loads of likes or comments I don't seem to mind. So I think that's what happened. I th- When I was putting loads of effort into the videos, I felt a bit bad and I didn't get all the love. But at the now, since I'm not spending all week making them, it doesn't matter. Like, And it's more, it's yeah. just for fun. Like, 
Yeah, I find it's about like, it's about knowing where you find value. Uh, and like, as an example, the music that myself and, and David have been making, the electronic music, we really love it. And it would be great if other people like it too, but we're happy. <laughs> Rogue Cabasa falling off the shelf there randomly. Um, it, it sounded good and it fell in fairness. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're like, once you're happy with with something, then, you know, that should be enough. And and, and that's not always the case. Uh, and I've definitely in the past, as I said, like posted a video because I wanted the, 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 uh, the, the, the likes, I guess. Mm. Um, it's hard to admit though, isn't it? I wouldn't admit that often. Like, oh, tra- as you said, chase the dragon. But I, I'd say I did that, did do it at the start, but it, but it, it's a cliche. I just do it because I love it. But at the start, maybe I wasn't doing it because I was loving it that much. I was hoping yeah. to get, get a, a lot of likes and stuff. But. I think for me anyway, it's, it's been a, a journey in the last couple of years. Um, when I was talking earlier on about that, like three month period of doing nothing after coming off that first tour with James, I learned a lot about myself in that because when you are a musician and that's what you do, like if, if you, if you're an accountant, you don't get all of your internal happiness from doing people's accounts. Some you know? probably, hopefully some do, but probably not all accounts. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. I hope mine does anyway. Um, <laughs> probably yeah, not. Like that, I think... Anyway, doing accounts for a musician is not that complicated. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what's uh, what's what's 20% of nothing? Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, but I think people working in the arts, like it's very easy to to like take all your um all your value or try or find on your all your value in external things um particularly when you're making art or you know like same thing putting out your videos uh, of you playing because it's a reflection on you and um, so i kind of went through a bit of a a journey on that and 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 realizing that i was happy eventually realizing that i was happy in my ability like what we were talking earlier on about like me not practicing i'm comfortable with the ability i have uh, mm. as a bass player i could be better i mean everybody can always be better but i could sit down and i could put hours in and i could you know rip through joe dark bass lines but yeah i never i never need to do that in a, in a gig context and i'm happy with what i can do so once you're comfortable i mean you, you can always be pushing yourself a little bit more maybe but if you have uh if you can find your your validation and your value internally i think you just become more comfortable anyway and then you don't have to worry about all those things like you know how many people are going to like your video or i've never i've never done the thing of oh well nobody liked that so i have to delete it no that's, i that's, keep them up like they're all the bad ones are still up <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah if you're not really true to yourself like i was saying i did a bunch of loop videos which i got a like a lot of comments and likes saying they were great and then someone contacted me and said will you do a 30 minute solo bass loop performance in the pub for me and i would just said no because i don't think i would have done it very well like because yeah i put so much work in they're not really me like you know so my thing is mainly being a rock bass player like so and blues so i i don't think i would have been great at doing that solo bass gig but i I forced myself to do them but they're not me i'm I'm happier now just putting up whatever is me i suppose i I might do a few loops but i don't see myself performing a a solo loop show anytime soon yeah (laughs) nobody's gonna go to that anyway (laughs) apparently people do but i don't know who goes (laughs) yeah you were talking earlier on about the uh, developing your like internal pulse have you watched that victor wooten video 
Uh, no, I've seen a bunch of him. He's very philosophical when it comes to anything music theory, isn't he? Like he always has a yeah. different take on it. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, like I, when when I started in BIM, I was coming in as like a a, a plec player, like a, a basically a rock a rock mm. bass player. Um, in terms of my styles as well at the time, and I remember like on the first day we were going around the room and everybody was was asked to you know play something, and there was guys playing like Jacko bass lines and, and Victor Wooten stuff and I was like shit I am out of my depth here <laughs> I I did uh, I did my audition was like Serge Duke with mm. Clec so you know uh, it's it's kind of getting into um, like snobbery which I don't really believe in but uh, but yeah getting back to Victor Wooten um, there's an amazing video of him talking about developing your internal clock and your internal pulse and he's and it's that thing you've probably come across of like having you know loops of 16 bars or whatever and you drop a beat of the click every yeah that's what i was saying i've been working on at the moment it's really good like he he goes further on that and talks about like setting it up in his house and like going like wandering around the house from room to room and like coming back like say it's playing in the kitchen or mm. whatever coming back and like trying to catch the beat it's funny i heard strangely miles davis said something about that before like going out for a cigarette and coming back in on the beat (laughs) right okay okay yeah i think that's i mean there's a lot of value in that i I would say that's probably one of one of the things that i'm good at is my timing at least i'd like to think so anyway Mm. but then you you see yourself on a on a grid in your doll and like jesus that could be better yeah that can be embarrassing but sure humans don't play on the grid anyway like so if when people anyone who's good at making uh, drums on on their um music software they always move the the hits slightly off the grid to make it sound more human like more human yeah yeah that's important definitely yeah and how would you find recording as opposed to have you done much record like on Vince all those bands or the session uh, touring basis do you play on the albums as well or do not really no, no. no. Um, with James he more often than not puts stuff down himself um, he his last album True Care there's like two or three songs that I played on on that um, and then there's another girl I play with Sorka Richardson I've played on some of her newer stuff but she did her first album with Friends in LA uh, so I didn't didn't get the call for that one. Uh, I <laughs> haven't nice done if you a got a trip ton. to LA, I, wouldn't it? Free holiday. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I would do it for free. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've played on. There's a guy from from the north, Kieran Lavery. He's like a singer songwriter. He's won the Northern Ireland Music Prize a couple of times, and I've played on uh, his last two albums, um, which came through a producer called Rory Cushnan, who's in in Dublin now. Um, he Rory was like based in London for years and like worked on uh, George Michael records back in the nineties and um, he's mixed um, like Ed Sheeran records and uh, what's that band I always forget their name of Mumford and or of Mumford and Sons Mumford and Sons <laughs> they should have been uh, called mixed... of Mumford and Sons that would have been <laughs> yeah I was mixing them up with Monsters and Men but um, yeah so I, I I can't remember how it was it was all based out of Camden recording studios I can't remember how I ended up working with Rory but he got me in for some stuff um, but yeah I, I do enjoy studio stuff uh, but it just doesn't come up that often more often than not I'm just in the live context cool so well so watch it so if people want to check you out is it uh, Instagram is that where you hang out mainly yeah uh, at Joe Furlong Bass and the, the cope is the, the band you're coming out with the... yeah 
there's not that many bass lines, which you was, uh, may not expect for a band that consists of two bass players. <laughs> you're right. Uh, you're against that. You're like, let's freak people out. No bass lines. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were using everything's like an analog synthesizer on, on the record. So um, for the most part, it is like what I was saying earlier on about just the, the synthesizers covering the low end frequencies of the root notes or whatever. There's like maybe two or three songs that have actual bass lines um, like synth-based bass lines on them but uh, yeah The Cope is what our project is called there's no like social media on them for that yet mm. um, but yeah uh, Instagram mainly I had a website but I just never actually ever used it so uh, I think I think uh, that has expired I think <laughs> or you didn't even website. check it's, it just died on its yeah, own yeah <laughs> probably yeah yeah um, but yeah that's, that's mainly it Instagram now yeah cool yeah i'll put up the links and um yeah cheers for coming on man and sure i'm sure gigs will come back near the end of the year and you'll be back in the sydney opera house <laughs> I, I hope you're right well vicker street anyway when do you do that um that turning point oh that's new year's eve so that's new year's, i think yeah. we're safe to say you'll get to do it do your that gig i hope so i mean as 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 the year as the year was coming to an end last year, I think everybody's like, oh, we'll be back playing by summer. And now it's like, well, hopefully everything will be back by September, October. So I, I really don't know. But I, to be honest with you, I'm, 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 I don't, I don't stress about that stuff because it's all out of our control, you know? Exactly. So you can. there's no point in getting stressed about it. Uh, it'll come back when it comes back and we'll be delighted for it to be back. Cool. Well, if I could make it to that New Year's Eve gig, I will like, you know, I used to play a lot on New Year's Eve, but in the last few years we didn't. So that that sounds de- deadly like true how is it four oh, hours great. long is it yeah usually around f- like the, the doors open uh at like eight first song is usually around half eight quarter to nine and then we're leaving the stage at like one half one sounds good get, get your you better have your chops ready for that one yeah get, get in I mean, the it's not like i don't have time <laughs> i've got nothing <laughs> yeah, but time get into the shade get practicing. yeah <laughs>